0: This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information on Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. So last time uh, that we were all together, we didn't have service last week, but two weeks ago, um, we talked about how when we meet Christ and we have that come-to-Jesus moment, literally, and we, we are given this, we became, made new creations, and we're given this new purpose to be ministers of reconciliation. And along with that new, new creation, that new identity, and that new purpose that we go out with, um, we're giving a new, given a new worldview, and Paul explains that, that he will never look at a person or a situation from a worldly point of view again, but from now on, he will look at things with a, through a heavenly scope, and, and so that's what we talked about last time. For this message that we're talking about today is going to be kind of part two of that. Um, it's not necessarily the next verse, we're in a different book and everything together, but it fits really well together. So, because of that new worldview that we get when we meet Christ, we are filled with hope. If I could define define the Christian life, the Christian life, I would say, is defined by hope. Hope is in everything that we do. Hope is the reason we do everything everything we do as Christians. It's in every part of our life. See, like we talked about last time, we talked about how Paul had seen that what was broken could now be restored. And once he saw that, it changed the way that he looked at things. We now have hope inside of us because we're aware that Christ can restore the broken. And so because we're aware of that, Everything that we see, we don't see something is broken. We see something with potential. We see that you know, that person that's a marriage, that's a marriage that's about on the verge of divorce, but I believe God can heal it. That's a life that's about to end, but I believe God can restore it. You know, that's a a person who is involved in, in, in alcoholism and his life's just going on the drain, but God can flip that script. We believe that, and and because we have that, it changes the way that we view our world. We are filled with hope, and that hope is our motivation. That hope is our our whole entire world. And the the world does not understand our hope. They don't get it. They don't understand why we're so cheery. They don't understand why we have such a good we we are are looking at life with a good outlook because we should. You know, if we're not, if we're just kind of moping around all the time, then we're not really representing Christ well. The world doesn't understand why we have our hope, and they will question us on it. And Peter tells us that when they question us, we should have an answer and we should be able to defend the reason for our hope. And so we're going to talk about that today. So if we would turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about what it means to, to defend our hope. In the NASB, that, that, it, it phrases it a little bit differently. It says, always be prepared to give a defense for the reason, or give a defense for the hope that you have. So tonight we're going to talk about you know, preparing that, that defense. But in order to get to that, we have to first understand why they're asking about our hope. Our hope affects our li- I would say our hope affects our lives in three major ways. The first one is that it changes our actions. Our hope makes us do good things. Hebrews 10.24 It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The hope that we profess is what pushes us to do good. Because we now are are looking at life with that different worldview, because we are now seeing that what's broken can be restored, we start to do better things. I know we see a lot of brokenness in the world. But a a life that is truly following Christ and that has that hope, there will be goodness that follows them. A big part of this is because as Christians, we have the ability to see needs where there are needs. If you look at Jesus, when he goes to the well and he meets the woman at the well in John 4, he sees this woman and immediately He knows her need. As soon as she comes up and he says, would you fetch me some water? And he knows that that what she needs is not physical water, but she needs living water. He knows exactly what it is. And later on, he calls her out on her sin, right? And you say, well, that's Jesus. And I'm not saying that everyone you come up to, you're going to read their mail and you're going to be like, this is what you're sinning and this is how you need to be able to fix it. I'm not saying it's going to happen every single time, but as Christians, we do have the ability to see needs. There's one particular gentleman in our church who, who every once in a while, a couple, probably a couple times a year, he will come up and he'll shake my hand and say, bless you, and then when he lets go, he'll, uh, there'll be a $50 bill in my hand. And, and I can't tell you how, how he does it. I can't tell you. I, it comes when, ev- when I need it exactly the most. When I'm hurting as as, as uh, the, the most financially, I, I don't know how he does it. I th- he might have like binoculars looking at my house and watching me do my bills, but uh, he somehow he knows. But that's when we are connected with the Holy Spirit. When we have the Holy Spirit living and breathing inside of us, we see needs, and we don't just see needs. We have urge the urge to fix those needs and to meet those needs. Everywhere that Jesus went, he met needs. And if you look at the lives of of many of you in this room, we meet needs. When there are broken people, we want to see them be fixed. If you don't believe that, come tomorrow night and and, and watch the people who, who run the food pantry. There are so many things that Pam could do on a Thursday night, right? Pam, she could read a book. She could catch up on shows. She, she, could, she could read her Bible. She could have a, a, just an hour or you know two hours, three hours of silence. But she doesn't. Why? Uh, I'm sorry, Pam, that I'm using as example. Uh, both Pams, they both work at Flip Um Why? Because as believers who have that hope. We can't sit by and watch a need go unmet. We cannot. We have to get up. It's why we give of ourselves. It's why we give to missions. It's why when someone comes through and says, and says listen, I'm feeding orphans, why we, we slap down money even if we don't have it in our bank account. We're like, this is my money for rent, but I'm going to give it to those, to those needy children. It's because we have. we can't help but meet needs. And it's the way that the church should be. And that is a direct result of the hope that we have. We're like addicted to helping people. We can't get enough. And even when it's not good for us, we still we go out and we try and get it, get, help more people. As a church, that's who we should be. As people who profess that hope, who hold unswervingly to that hope. We should be follow, our, our actions should be filled with good deeds. We have to ask ourselves, are our, actions followed, are our actions filled with good deeds? Do our actions represent the hope that we have? Paul talks about having a debt of love in Romans thirteen eight, And I always thought that was an interesting verse. It says, do not have any debts but the debt of love that you owe to each other. I think that's really powerful for, for the way that we interact with humankind. And specifically, this is talking about people within the, within the church. We, can't, we, can, we cannot not meet a need because we have that debt of love. Because we are in, in, indebted to each other because of the hope that we have, because of the, the same faith that we have. We all believe in the same God. We all believe that the, that the same Son of God came and died for our sins. We all are unified in that. And so because we're unified in that, because we're, we have the same hope, we're indebted to each other in love. That's a pretty awesome thing. The second thing that hope does in our life is it removes our fear. John Piper said that hope is the root of fearlessness. Let's say that again. It's a good quote. Hope is the root of fearlessness. In an article that he wrote that, that talks about a similar topic as this, he says he explains that the hope in question in verse fifteen of our of our passage in First Peter is associated associated with obedience to the command in verse fourteen to have no fear and to not be troubled. When we have no fear, and when we're not troubled, it causes people to, 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 that shows people our hope. And that's a direct result of our hope. This statement is completely reverberated throughout Scripture. We see in Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. That's a causative statement. Do not fear, for I am with you. Because he is with us, we will not fear. Because he is there with us every step of the way, we will not fear. When we have a knowledge and a faith and a hope that God is with us, that hope that we're holding unswervingly to, when we understand that, we will not fear. Luke, uh, in Luke 12, 32, it says, Do not be afraid, little flock. The Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Again, our faith in the Father's plan, our hope in what's to come, causes us not to fear. That hope, the hope that we hold on to is so powerful. It is, it is such a definitive part of the Christian life. See, this world is filled with anxiety. We see it Everywhere. North Korea is launching missiles in the sky. That and and you know we have brokenness everywhere. There's you know shootings and and, in that that shouldn't take place. And there's all these horrible things. There's you know race relation problems that we have. There's churches getting shot up. There's just all these awful things. And the world is filled with anxiety. Just look at the news. Everyone's freaking out. But quite frankly, as Christians, we shouldn't be freaking out. One, because Jesus told us all this would happen. But we shouldn't be freaking out because God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a sound mind and we need to stand on that. Why? Because we have Jesus' promises that we hold on to. Every step of the way, that our hope in Christ, our hope in his promises, that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. That he's coming back again to redeem us. The, 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 the hope and the promise that, that, that he will make us new creations. Every one of those things. It leads to fearlessness. And that fearlessness is present in a real Christian life. I see it in a lot of your lives. I have watched a lot of you guys go through really, really tough situations. And I've watched a lot of you guys walk through it without fear. I can truly say that, which is a pretty cool thing as a pastor to be able to say that. That there's, there's a lot of the, the faces in this crowd. I can look out and I can say, I watched them go through, through trials. And I watched them go through, you know, really, really difficult circumstances. And I watched them do it without fear. That's, I, watched them, I watched them not crumble. When 95% of humanity would have crumbled... I watched them not crumble. I think that's pretty powerful. That's who we are to be as Christians. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that you're, you're just you know, chipper all the time and you're, you're never quite afraid of anything. You can, but, but what separates Christians is that we have a place to, to put our fear. When we're afraid... We know where to direct it. We can direct it to heaven. We can, we can call out, like we were just singing a second ago. We know where our help comes from. And so we can sing that out. The third thing that, that hope does to our Christian life is that it changes our response to attacks against us. In 1 Peter three eight, we, it, it, he says, "Do not repay evil with evil; repay evil with blessing." We see a similar sentiment by Jesus in in Matthew five, where he says that when we are, if someone comes up and he strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. And then later on, he tells us that 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 we should love our enemies and that we should pray for them. The only I feel like this is the is is one of the biggest like, characteristics of Jesus that's so counterintuitive to the world is this idea of, of, of Jesus that repaying evil with blessing. It's so contrary to our human nature. Our human nature tells us that, that, that when, if someone get, gets us, we're going to get back at them. If someone steals from us, we're going to steal from them. If someone hurts us, we're going to hurt them. Hurt them. And we, we've seen it over and over again in our lives. That is human nature. And Jesus' commands could be, couldn't be so much further from that reality. And the reason for that is hope. Because when we, the person who slaps us we're not only viewing them, and, and this, is, this may be faith for all of us who haven't gotten in there yet, but when someone slaps us, we're not seeing someone who's just hurting us. We're seeing someone who's broken. Remember, we have this new worldview that changes everything that we see. We have a silver lining to everything that we see, broken but can be restored. We look at things with hope. And so it changes how, how we respond to the people who attack us. It changes how we respond to the people who persecuted, persecute us. It, it, it changes the, the way that when we are, are stuck in, in, uh, in a jail or, or, or like Paul in prison, that he just starts to sing. And he just starts to sing out with, um, with hymns. That's because we have hope. It's only by our hope. These things that, that, that hope does, this is what Jesus talked about in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-8. through But Jesus is teaching us, he teaches us in, in that, that section, what the life of a Christian should look like. That's, that's basically what the Sermon on the Mount is. This is what a Christian life should look like. And all of that is a result of our hope. But that's unlike the world. Like I said, it's completely counterintuitive to the world. When they see people doing good things and they say that, that you're not getting something out of it, they question that. When they're like, wait, you gave that money and you, you don't get a tax break for that? Wait, you committed all of this time when, when you, know, you, could have done, you, you could have done something better with your time? You didn't even get paid? Well, you volunteer? You work with children on a Sunday morning that aren't yours and you're not even getting paid? The world doesn't understand it. They know that it's different, they can see that it's different. And so because, because our hope makes us stand out, and that's what Jesus intended for the church, he, te- he tells us in Matthew 5 that his desire for the church is for us to be like a city on a hill, to be like a light in the darkness. One of my favorite traditions um, that we have as a church that we haven't done, we didn't do last year, and we're not going to do this year, is, um, is the candlelight service. The reason we're not doing it this year is, I believe that Christmas... Eve is on a Sunday. And so we won't have a candlelight service. Just mark that on your calendars. If you show up Christmas Eve at 11 o'clock, no one will be here. And the lights will be off, but it's not because we're waiting to light candles. (laughs) But the candlelight service is one of my favorite favorite traditions because there's this amazing moment in the service where all the lights are off. and, And Pastor Dave is wrapping up his message. And one by one, these candles begin to light. And it goes from this room that's filled with darkness to suddenly small amounts of light. And then when the light joins together, it becomes, the, this, this, this room it gets illuminated. And suddenly you can start to see the faces of the people who, who are nearby you. And you can start to see the, 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 the stained glass and the things on the walls when it's been pitch black. I think that's so beautiful and it's such a, a, a powerful message. That is who we as Christians are in the world. We are the light that stands apart. We are the thing that... that, that, that The the word holy means set apart. And so as we found out last last week that we're new creations, that Christ became our sin and we became righteousness, we became holy, we became set apart and so we look different than the world. And because we look different... They question us on it. That is why they ask. That's why they will ask about our hope. Is because your hope is so different to them. I went to high school with this kid, and his dad invented. Uh, I don't. Couldn't even tell you his name, um, but his dad invented these like, like, shoes that were basically not shoes, but they're like springy feet, and so. You might have seen him run around Berwyn uh, when, when, really if you've been around here for a while. Um, when I was a teenager, he, he would run around the halls of school and he would run outside school and I'm, it, the, the feet made him like nine feet tall. You know what I'm talking about? And, so, and he would run around Berwyn. You'd see him like, they're actually really cool. Um, and But that kid stuck out like a sore thumb. Why? Because... Uh, you know, here, here's me. I went to a school in a, in a, you know, predominantly Latino school. And I don't know if you know this about Latinos. They're not the tallest bunch of people. And I'm not exactly tall either. So when this kid's like nine feet tall, he stands out. Yeah. You can't help but see it because there's something different about it. And so I, I can't tell you how many times I heard that kid get asked, hey, what are those about? Hey, where'd you get those? Hey, what are those? Hey, why are you wearing those? As Christians, we are meant to be the, be the one who's sticking out our head way above the crowd. People are going, hey, how'd you get up there? Hey, how'd you make it up there? Hey, the last time I saw you, you were on the verge of divorce and you were an alcoholic and, and your kids hated you. Why did I just see a picture on Facebook of your whole entire family together, uh, uh, you know, and you and your wife embracing each other and all your kids hugging on each other, eating a big gigantic turkey. What happened? Jesus happened. We need to be that city on the hill. We need to stand out. So that we and and and, and when we stand out, when we, when we have, have that hope that changes and we're doing good things and we are, 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 are approaching our life with this fearlessness and, and, and when we are responding to attacks the way um, that, that we are called to, when we stand out and when they ask us, we have to be prepared to give an answer. What does it mean to be prepared to defend our hope? What does it mean to be able to be prepared to give a reason? I mean, is this talking about, is this like practical? Like, are we like literally supposed to have a statement? This is what I say. A lot of churches believe that. A lot of churches, if you say, you know, hey, why do you believe what you believe? You're, you are going to get a, a, a statement that has been spoken for 30, you know, 30 50, 100 years. You're going to get the Apostles' Creed. You're going to get something along those lines. You might get some some um, you know just regurgitated prayer that they've heard someone else say over and over and over and over again. There's a big chance you you'll do that. Is that what we're supposed to have? If someone questions us are we are we supposed to have some pre-written thing that that we're aware of or are we supposed to completely re- rely on the Holy Spirit in that moment are we just supposed to call down call out to, to God and, or just trust that that the words that that he has, or he's just going to be suddenly deposited in our mind. He's going to Jedi mind trick us, and these are not the droids you're looking for, and we're going to go, these are not the George you're looking for, you know? <laughs> right. is, is, is that is that the, uh, the option? I think it's interesting because here, Peter, the, there seems to be actually a, a contradiction between what Peter is saying here and what Jesus says in, in Luke 21. And so I wanted to take us through this for, for just a, I want to take a short little break here and I want to talk about the, this possible contradiction here. Just because it's Wednesday night and I have the microphone. So, um, in Luke 21 and also in Matthew 10, Jesus specifically tells, tells um, the disciples Make up your mind not to think about the words you're going to say. Not to prepare your defense. For in that moment, I will give you words, and it will not be you speaking, but however it will be the Father speaking through you. Now That's kind of interesting when you compare it to what Peter is saying here, which is always be prepared with a defense for, for the hope that you have, right? It kind of, almost seems like there's a contradiction. If you read them both in the NASB, um, the words are like exactly the same. And so I thought I'd take a second here and, and go through this and, and, and discover here why these two statements are different from each other, as I believe they're not a contradiction. In fact, I think they actually are related in a, in a similar way. First, we're going to take a look at Matthew 21 or I'm sorry, Luke 21, and Matthew 10. Let's read that together. Luke 21 first. OK, it says, "And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. For I will give you words and wisdom that, will, that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You Oh, and then that ends right there, okay? I'm read it one more time. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Now we're going to jump over to, to Matthew ten nineteen which is a retelling of the same story. It says, But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how you will say it. At, the time, at that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So what, what Jesus is telling his disciples here? One, he's talking on the, he's talking about the topic of of being persecuted and being pulled before these rulers and kings and gentiles. And he's talking about being pulled in front of them for his sake. He says, You will you will bear testimony to me, and they will pull you in front, and they will and you will be pulled before kings and rulers. It says, You will be brought before governors and kings of witnesses to them and to the and you will as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. When they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how you say it. At the time it will be given to you. They are being brought there on Jesus' uh, by Jesus' sake, and his command is to not be overly anxious about the words that they're speaking. Instead, he's saying, Trust that I'm going to lead you with the words that you need to say. First thing to note here is that there's two different scenarios here. The first one is in this this one that we're talking about, is that Jesus is seeing, Jesus is talking about his disciples being questioned on their faith in him. Meaning these rulers know who Jesus is. These disciples are coming into attack because they have faith in Jesus and the people who are attacking them know that it's Jesus that they have faith in. And so they're coming against him and Jesus Jesus is saying that when they come against you, don't worry about what to say. I'm going to give you what you need to say. They're there specifically on Christ's account. He's speaking against worry in this passage. Because worry is a sign of our, uh, of our self-reliance. Every time we're worried about... Even even in, in smaller things in our life, it's not just about when we're about to be killed, but when we were when we're worried about finances, when we're worried about uh, you know you know having st- have money for, for clothes on our back, when we're worried about about you know uh, our job status or, or whatever there is to worry about. There's like a million things to worry about. A lot of uh, that worry is a result of our self reliance, because over and over and over again, we're told by Jesus, don't worry, don't be anxious. That worry is, is a result of us being self-reliant. I'm not saying that. That well, I'm not saying. First off, I'm not saying I don't worry. I, I I fall short in that all the time. But that worry is is specifically because of my self-reliance. Because I wanna I wanna understand. You know, God, I would really appreciate that if when I balance my checkbook, that I see black numbers and not red numbers, right? And sometimes he's like, no, you're going to see red numbers for just a little bit, and then I'm going to swing around with some black numbers, and you're going to be great. That doesn't happen to you guys? (laughs) Jesus is saying here, basically, that he doesn't need the disciples to come up with eloquent defenses and words to protect him from these attacks. Jesus is the one being attacked here. And he's saying, I don't need you to defend me. The Father's words are all that's needed to be a defense. It doesn't matter what words you're going to say. The Father will speak through you. We see, this, we see Jesus do this whenever he's questioned on earth. When, the, when His defense, whenever he's questioned, is always scripture. Did you ever notice that? Go, re, go, go look at some of, some of the times that Jesus is questioned. His response is always, always scripture. It's always looking back on, on what the Father's words are. You know, and he, he could easily, when they say, you know, are you really say you're God, he could be like, you know, and like, you know I don't know, do something crazy with, with his, you know, Jesus powers. He could do a miracle. He could, he, and, and even when he's questioned to do a miracle uh, and to give them a sign, he says no. And what does he do after that? He quotes scripture. <laughs> because... The only thing that's needed to defend God and to defend Jesus is the words of the Father. Charles Spurgeon has this awesome quote when he says, The word word of God is like a lion. You don't need to defend a lion. All you need to do is let the lion loose and he will defend himself. I think it's really powerful. I'm going to say it again. The word of God is like a lion. You don't need to defend a lion. You just need to let him loose and he will defend himself. And that is so true in Scripture. Jesus does, when, if someone's attacking Jesus, you know, social media is huge in this. How many people are on social media? Just raise your hand. Wow, actually a lot less than I thought. Um, or you're all liars. Um, the, on social media, we see all the time that the, the people are attacking Jesus people are, 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 are you know calling him, calling Jesus names and, and attacking who he was, saying he's not real every year around Christmas time um, there's a, a, a story that's published um, uh, by a different newspaper that that says that Jesus wasn't actually real and it's completely like their, their basis for it is completely wrong. Um, but it still comes out because one, there's a group, there, there, there are people on this earth that are specifically just trying to attack Jesus. But Jesus doesn't need us to defend him. He doesn't need us to come up with some awesome words to defend him or who he is or who he was here on earth or what he did. He just needs us to speak the words that the, that the Father tells us and speaks the words that, that, that we're given the same way that he did. Now, First Peter 3.15 is a different scenario. The people doing the questioning here They don't understand who Jesus is. They're completely oblivious to to who the believers are and why they're acting that way. Do you see the difference between these two scenarios? One, the people are attacking who Jesus is. The other one, the people are genuinely asking, why are you different? And so what Peter is saying here is that we have to be prepared to give a reason We have to be able to say, this is why I'm different. This is why my life doesn't look like yours. This is why I don't watch those shows. This is why I don't speak that way. This is why I don't hang out in those places. This is why I'm different. This is why I don't look like you. The believers in this situation are are, are tasked not with defending God, but just for giving a reason why they're hopeful. And the reason why Peter is stressing this is because that moment, in that moment when you're asked, hey, why are you, why did you do that? That is your moment to point people to Jesus. And it may be a fleeting moment. It may, that may be the one time they ask you. And so if they catch you off guard and you're like, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. Like if they catch, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but sometimes I've been caught off guard like that. I know that, that we're, we're, you don't know what words to say. You don't know how, uh, you know, should I, should I come up, you know, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, died on the cross. You know, do, you, how, do you know what to say? And that's why Peter is saying, be prepared to give a reason. The preparation that he's talking about is twofold. And I think this is really simple. It's not about having a pre-written thing, and it's also not about, about, you know, completely expecting that God's just going to Jedi mind trick you and give you some words to say. This preparation is about knowing what you believe and knowing why you believe that. In order to give a competent answer about why you believe what you believe, or, or I'm sorry, about what you believe, You have to actually know what that is. And that means not just mindlessly repeating a prayer. It's so easy for us to repeat mindless words, Christianese that we've heard said time and time and time again in the church. There's so much of that that goes around. And it's really easy to just, you know, word vomit that out because it's just been programmed in our head. But it's not enough just to know know those words. You have to know what the Bible says, and you have to understand it. You have to truly understand it. This only comes from time that's spent in the Word. Jesus' knowledge of the Word was obviously incredible, and it wasn't just because he was the Word incarnate. But we see it when Jesus is a child, what is he doing? In Luke, I think, chapter 2 or 3, what do we find Jesus doing? He's in the temple. And what is he doing in the temple? He's listening to the teachers who are teaching the Torah and who are teaching God's word. And he's asking questions. And, 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 he's, and he, he's trying to, or he's he's just, you know, covering himself in the word of God. And we need to follow that example. He lived on the word. He said that man doesn't live on, 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 on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the, mouth, the Father's mouth. The Word of God was his life. He, he, what he did was he dug a deep well, and he filled it with the Word of God, so that whatever the situation is, whatever he came in contact with, all he had to do was reach down in that well and pull out what he needed. That the Father could guide him, and, he could, and he, could, he could take what he needed. So the truth is, if you get in a situation like, it was like Jesus was talking about in, 20, in, in Luke 21, I don't care who you are, and I, and I don't care you know, how in touch with the Holy Spirit you are, but I would argue that if you're not in touch with the Word, you're not in touch with the Holy Spirit. The Father is not pulling words out of you that you have not previously put there. That's a, that's a that's a powerful word right there. If you don't have the the word hidden in your heart, then you are going to go to grab it when you need it, and it won't be there. And the result of that, it it, it, it could be that that. When you're questioned about your hope, you don't know what to, what to call back on. Or it could be that when you're going through a terrible situation and you're broken and you're hurting and you go and you're scrambling for Scripture to hold on to and you have no promises of God to hold on to because you don't have the Word hidden in your heart, we have to dig that well and we have to fill it up with the Word of God. And, we have to, and, and then when we're in a situation, I'm not saying we need to worry about what we need to say, but... When we're in a situation, we know that God's going to bring to our mind what we've previously put in our will. And I think that's important. This is the example we must follow. and we, we must embrace the word of God as our source. In both of these situations, we must be prepared to know what we believe. The second part uh, of, of defending that hope, that, of giving that reason, is knowing why you believe what you believe. The reason that you believe what you believe is important when people question you on your hope, you can't just say, well, Jesus died on the cross, and he, you know, he died for my sin, and, uh, and you know, now I'm redeemed, and so that, um, that's why I have hope. Now, maybe you'll get someone who'll go, wow, that's awesome, I didn't know that, and so, you know, tell me more about this Jesus. Maybe that will happen if you follow that up with why you believe it, for example, if you come to someone and you say, if they say, hey man, I noticed that, that um, you know, you're always happy and that you're always, you're always, it seems like you're just always cheerful and, and you're full of joy and, um, you know, why is that? And if I said, listen, my life is different because Jesus left his place in heaven to die for my sin and I, and and." He made me into a new creation. You should have seen me before. I was messed up. He made me into a new creation and he gave me hope and I tested everything that he said in my own life and I got to tell you that every time I tested, he's come through. If you tell someone that I have tasted, I have seen that the Lord is good. There's power in that when you include it with the word of God. If you just... Speak the, the word of God. Absolutely, you might, you might reach someone. But when you combine it with your testimony, I'm telling you, that is, that is so incredibly powerful. When you can say, listen, I've done this in my life. Listen, my marriage was broken, but I, we turned to God. And I'm telling you, we've been married for, for you know, whatever, however many years. I'm telling you, my, my relationship with my children was, was broken. I turned to God and I started taking my family to church. And, and you should have seen what happened. You should have seen, uh, uh, you know, how God impacted my children's life. When you can bring that and say, a- 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 and he does this because he loves us, and, and then you can, you can back it up with scripture, and now you're, you're, you're basically, you know, you're no longer boxing with one arm, but, you, you know, you, you, you have two punches to throw. That's important. That's how we build our defense. That's how we give our reasoning for the hope that we have. The the last part of our scripture, I'm just going to touch on this really quick, I think is really important. It's a good way to end. It says, but do this with gentleness and respect. I like this because basically what it's saying is Give a defense for your hope. Give a reason for your hope without invalidating the reasons why they asked you in the first place. Sometimes people can be rude when they ask you why you are the way you are. Sometimes people can be snotty when they ask you uh, why you are the way you are. I I know Mark, Mark, our drummer, um, uh for For so many years he had this guy that he worked with that that would just harass him and harass him and harass him for being a christian and and you know would ask him why he was the way he was would ask him why why you know um, you know he he wouldn 't do certain things or or why he didn't drink alcohol why he was, you know why he wasn 't like the rest of all of the guys that he worked with and and I'm not. Ta- I'm not talking like for a year. He questioned. Him. I'm talking like 10 years, maybe more than that. I wish he was here, and so he could kind of validate that. And at, when that guy got sick, Mark was the guy that he called. And in in the end of the, that guy, the years of that guy's life, you know, Mark was the one who was talking to him. In 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 in. And was was able to share Jesus with him and, and lead him to Jesus. Why? Because when he was faced with an attack, when he's faced with with being, you know, with someone attacking him, he he responded with what. this is why I am the way I am. This is my reason for my hope. And he did it with gentleness and respect. And that leads, that is so important because he could have easily said, Listen, Jesus died for me, and now you just need to get over it. You know? You know, and you better get your act together, otherwise you're going to hell. You know? He could could have said, listen, you know, he, he could have reacted in a bad way. We all could react in a bad way. But that would invalidate why they're asking us in the first place. They're asking you because they see you're different. And if you're saying to yourself, you know what, people don't ask me why I'm different. I think you have to ask yourself, are you really different? Do you really stand out? Are you like a, a, a flicker of a light in a completely pitch, pitch black room? Do you stand out? Are you three heads above the rest of the crowd? Because if you're not, then we have to reshape our life to look more like Jesus. We have to draw closer to the heart of what Jesus taught in, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in, in what and we have to draw closer to that hope and how that hope affects our life like we talked about tonight. We have to stand out. If we don't, then, we are, then we're, we're failing as Christians. Pray with me. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org Thank you, and God bless.